remember Coco? That Pixar film about the little Mexican boy with all the music and skeletons? Well, perhaps you're trying to forget how it made you cry. Damn you, Pixar, every time. So, in celebration of the season, we're tuning up our instruments so we can play along, because we would be un poco loco if we didn't ask the question, Coco, what's it about? I'm Ricardo Blade Diaz. And I'm Seth Crow, And this is the What's It About Film Podcast, the show where two aspiring creatives aim to glean the meaning of it all through the media we consume, holding a mirror up to ourselves and seeing how it reflects in our own lives. Seth, how are you doing today? I'm good, man. I'm good. Uh, you good? Yeah, I, I, uh, I've had some positive things going on lately, so... Hell yeah, you, know. you have. Do you want to yeah. share? Or no? You want to keep it a surprise? Uh, I mean, I can share some of the things. Uh, I mean, small but encouraging thing was last night I did some stand-up. Really? And yeah, I did some stand-up and, uh, you know, I uh, I haven't been going out recently and... Uh, I, I did two mics last night. I ha- I've had this idea for a joke, which, uh, you know me, I like to do weird jokes. Mm. Uh, I don't really even like to get up unless I have like a, an idea that I think could be weird, but work, mm-hmm. you know? So the first time I went up, it, it, it bombed hard. It, it did <laughs> not work. Oh, no. But I, I, I learned from what I did wrong and uh, I went up to the second mic and the second mic, everybody was coming up after and being like, whoa, dude, that's actually really funny. And I was (laughs) like, yeah, it's like, I know, I know what works, you know, Mm -hmm. but uh, it's it's all about finding the right way to say something. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, uh, maybe I'll tell you guys what the joke is after we get into the conversation because it's relative, sort of. Uh, (laughs) It's relative, sort of. (laughs) Okay. Uh, and then uh, I, I just signed the contract today for, I'm doing a, a Christmas show called Enchant Nashville. Um, so that's exciting. So if you're in the Nashville area and you feel like going to the Sound Stadium to see a, a Christmas show, I'll be there as the lead uh, elf, Eddie the Elf. And so that's exciting. Yeah. And uh, working on some side projects, which I'll have more information about later. Just, you know, I feel like I'm doing something lately. So. That's cool. Awesome. You know? uh, yeah, my week's been okay. Um, Good. Yeah, since let's see, um, nothing too eventful happened in the in the week from last time we we from whence we saw each other. I don't think. No. No, nah, nothing big. Nope. Oh, I. Oh, wait. Never mind. So right after we were done recording on Wednesday, I had an adventure in passport applications. Oh yeah, yeah. So, so my sister's wedding is in January. It's in Punta Cana, which is in the Dominican, and my passport expired in January. So I needed to get a new passport, um, and it's kind of expensive, especially you know, you know, it can be expensive. So it took me a while like, to have enough money to just like pay for it outright. So FedEx has a service where like all you do is like fill out the application. And like you bring your picture in and they send everything in for you basically. Yeah. So I did that, which was like 200 and something dollars. And I went to FedEx with my pick with, uh, well, first I had to go get my passport photo taken. So, you know, Walgreens does it easy peasy. Right. So I go to the Walgreens closest to my house. They can't do it because their uh, printer is not printing the correct size right now. So I go to another Walgreens. 
their kiosks are down. So I can't. So I go oh, to wow. another Walgreens, and their kiosks are down. <laughs> so I go to a fourth Walgreens, <laughs> and finally find one that works. So I get it. It takes like two minutes. Yeah, like it, it's so annoying. So I went to four Walgreens. Finally got the pictures taken. Go to FedEx. Give them all the stuff, and they're like, "Oh, you, you, we can't send this for you." I was like, "Why?" Like because the the passport place is a, has a PO box. We can't deliver to a PO box. Only the post uh, office can do that. Uh. So I was like, "So what does that mean?" They're like, so that you have to go to submit it by mail. So I was like, "So I just paid you two hundred and some dollars for nothing. I would like a refund." <laughs> and that yeah. was a whole thing. So like the manager had to come out, uh, and I did get the refund, but it was a whole thing. That's good. So then I had to go on to like the, 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 you know, the, uh, government website, download the forms, print them off so I could fill them out manually. So yeah. I them out and then I went to the post office. The only way you can pay for it, I found out is a check in the envelope through the facility. Yeah. So there's no yeah. pay. So I had to then go to my bank to get a paper check behind a lady that was like very confused with what's going on with her bank account. And there was only one teller. So I was just standing there for like 30 minutes. And all I needed to do was print off paper checks, which takes less than two seconds. Like literally I walked yeah. I was paper checks and they, I showed them my card, they printed it off and I was out of there like a minute after I talked to the teller, went back over to the post office, went through the line. This is the wrong envelope. Went back through the oh, no. right envelope and finally got it all delivered. But geez, Louise, it took it took a huge chunk of my day. What I, that I thought was going to be just a quick errand to to a Walgreens and to FedEx ended up being like four or five hours. Yeah, it was. Yeah, that's dude bureaucracy, man. It was it was frustrating, and so so you got it done though, right? I did get it done. It's it's in. It, it should be arriving to the facility today, so that means they should be processing it. I paid for the expedited process, um, so I should be getting that that in less than five five weeks or or you know cool. somewhere between eight and five weeks. I you know it's too late now. Uh, I wish I had known the best post office to do that stuff at is the Hollywood Post Office. Oh man. It's like one stop shop. You can get your, I think you can get your picture taken there. Like you can do the whole shebang. And there's like, for some reason, never anybody there. Like Weird. it's, I think it's because it's like there's no parking. Uh-huh. Right. So the only people that go to it are, uh, are like the people that live around there. Mm-hmm. But they are like a full blown passport post office. Well, like, but here's the thing. It should have been so easy because I should have just stopped at the Walgreens closest to my house because they usually can do the pictures and then yeah. drive to the FedEx closest to my house and submit it and be done. It would have been so quick. But but nothing could ever be easy. So I was glad to be able to sit down and I watched a bunch of shows. I watched a bunch of movies this week um, and did some writing. So I was able to, to decompress from that because that Good. was frustrating. I yeah, hate yeah, that yeah. kind of stuff. But I did it. Um, it's the worst. It is the worst. But we are here today to talk about Coco, the 2017 Pixar film, animated film, Coco. Um, Seth, we talked about this a little bit last week, but this was the first film 
Actually, no, I take that back. It wasn't the first film that I saw in in L.A. Because the first one I saw in L.A. was with my sister the night we came in. Um, well, what was that? Gosh, I think it was... It might have been Bad Mom's Christmas. Yeah. Heck yeah. Mila Kunis. Yeah, I mean, our... our <laughs> Fan favorite of the show, Mila Kunis. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna have her on one day. You know what's funny? So her new movie just came out on Netflix, The Luckiest Girl Alive. I auditioned for that movie. Oh, cool! Yeah, it's on Netflix now. Um, so it, it, go check it out. I was almost in that movie. Not really. <laughs> I auditioned for it, but I wasn't like close to getting it. But yeah. I auditioned for it, which was pretty cool. Um, but yeah, so uh, it, I think it was Bad Mom's Christmas because uh, that came out in 2017. At this okay. time, yeah, it was. And then you you went with Sarah and I to see it at the Orchard. Right. That was like the first time I'd been out in L.A. You took us to the yeah. – me and my sister yeah. to the – it was without my sister. My sister had just left. Um, so it was my first time going out in L.A. without my sister uh, there because she had, she had flown back to Miami. And I think uh, we ate at that Chinese restaurant, didn't we? We did. We ate at that yeah. Chinese restaurant yeah, that yeah, we yeah. love. Um, and then – uh, we, yeah, we walked around the Grove. You guys showed me like some of the cool spots. And then we saw Coco together at the, at the, uh, the movie theater at the Grove, which was, which was great. Um, so that was my first time seeing this movie. And I'm assuming that was your first time seeing this movie. Yeah, of course. Yeah. I think it was like the day before it came out. Yeah. Oh yeah. It was like the early release. <laughs> yeah. That you get yeah. in LA sometimes. That's right. Um, so Seth, um, what are your thoughts about this movie? How what do you kind of feel? Is this our our like ex, our history with this movie is kind of similar ish? Uh, yeah. What are what are your general thoughts about this movie? Well, uh, so when this movie came out, the name of it immediately struck me because my grandfather's name was Coco. So oh. I'm not you know I don't have Hispanic heritage or anything Latino, uh, but my grandfather's name was Coco. So I was immediately intrigued by the the film's title um and then the film itself is like it's just it's just so good hearted you know it's mm-hmm. there's nothing there's nothing about it that's not enjoyable uh it's not you know the plot or whatever is not that complex but you're just living kind of in this world and and it's fun to see it and you know and then the, at the end it's just so heartwarming. Like the, mm-hmm. the sentiments in the film are just, you know, you can't, you can't get out of this without crime. I don't know. Of course. You, I mean, you don't have a heart if you get out of this. Movie <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 It's, it's pretty, I mean, sorry for anybody that did, you know, there's, there's hope for you. Just we're, watch it we're, again. we're half kidding. Like yeah, you don't yeah, cry during yeah. movies. You don't cry during movies, but yeah, if you've seen Coco and and you, it's, I I think I agree with you. It's hard not to connect with this movie in some way because even though yeah. I think this film might feel niche, very niche to some people because it is about you know a Mexican family. It's about being a musician and it's like sometimes people I don't think relate to that as much you know because it seems it seems narrow, right? It's it's yeah. a Mexican family. It's about me- Mexican culture. Dia de los Muertos, the land of the dead, like ofrendas. And so it's very culturally centric. And so it feels like maybe that could be alienating to people who aren't a part of the culture, but the themes are universal, you know, or at least some of them are. Um, Yeah. 
And yeah, I mean, it makes me cry. And it, I'm also not of Mexican heritage. My family's from uh, Panama. Uh, but definitely there's like Coco, Grandma uh, Grandma Coco definitely reminds me of my own Nana. Um, and uh, there are certain things in this movie that definitely remind me of my uh, Latin heritage. For yeah. Sure. Um, I'm becoming more and more connected to this film the longer I'm with Sarah, for sure. Mm -hmm. uh because her you know she grew up in mexico she's not of mexican heritage technically but she did grow up in mexico her mom is argentinian uh and really connects with the the mexican culture so they i mean we're gonna have an ofrenda in the house this year you know oh awesome yeah yeah and it was cool because we got to watch the we got to watch the movie with sarah's parents and uh you know get to hear from her mom talk about specific traditions more in depth and uh yeah so so it was really cool to get to to have that kind of commentary as we were watching it and you know i feel like i'm connect more connected to the culture because of sarah being in my life this long so Mm -hmm. absolutely and and i think it's one of the great things about like partners and friends and things like that is when you're when you're with somebody who's or close with somebody who's a part of a culture that you're that you're not originally a part of we we want to share those things with you right we we want to bring you into the culture right we don't want yeah. to exclude that's not what that su- kind of stuff is about it's not being exclusive it's a, it's about inclusion and so it's so nice to hear that Sarah and her family have really kind of put their arms around you and like, Hey, come and come and check out this, this culture that's so important yeah. to us. And that's yeah. great. Um, again, I, my family's not Mexican, so I don't have as much of that. Um, but you know, we have our own traditions and our own, our own culture and things like that. But, uh, but yeah, uh, this movie is really, really delightful, charming and heart and heartfelt in so many ways. Um, and I was really glad that we have a chance to do it and, uh, that it kind of makes sense with this time of year since, uh, Dia de los Muertos is coming around uh, yeah. here on the 1st of November. So it's only a couple weeks away. I also apologize if I ever have to say Dia de los Muertos uh, on this podcast. you say it with the accent? Because I have to. I basically have to. If I try to pronounce it, just like I I have a hard time saying these words together for some reason. So like, just so all these, all these, all these uh, uh, Spanish words that we're going to be probably saying throughout, you're going to put accents on all of them? <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. But I here's the thing. I struggle with the same thing sometimes, just uh, <laughs> because, uh, like, like, is it is it offensive to to put the accent on it, or is it, or is it offensive to like not even try? Uh, I I think, you know, this is a Seth theory, but I think language is inherently emotional, right? Mm-hmm. So like, there's something about saying something with an accent that adds a level of emotional intent. Uh, behind it right so you can't really like yeah you can learn the structure of language but until you like slip into the emotionality of the language you're not going to learn it as well so it's like my brain needs the you know like it needs the you need the latino inflection yeah 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 i need the emotionality behind the language to help me with it i've been debating for a very long time as an actor whether or not i should i should work on a latin uh accent um 
because it's not super native to me. Um, my dad doesn't have one. He grew up most of his life here in the States, even though he was born in Panama. Uh, he, most of his life, especially during like when he was learning to talk, uh, but most of it was here in the States. So he doesn't really have an accent. Um, mm. My grandma did, obviously, and my grandpa did, but I don't really remember uh, what their accents were like. Sometimes I'll, I'll imitate my grandma, but like I could never extend that that impression to anything like outside of the things that she used to say. Yeah, <laughs> if that makes sense. Uh, those little phrases that I remember her saying all the time. Uh, but I don't know. So throughout, we please don't get mad at us. We just we want to respect yeah. the culture. We're if doing we, the best we can. If we put any accents on any of these words, it's only out of being so immersed and and being so charmed by this movie that we want to try and emulate it so much um but let's go on and talk about how this film came to be so oh, that real, we have a little bit more context oh go ahead real quick uh i want you to know my father has very much uh wanted you to know that he thinks you do a great job he really enjoys uh your uh the structured part of this show and le- the information and research you do oh the, history? Mean, I, okay. the history yeah so he he thinks it's really cool. He thinks you did do a really good job. Oh, thank you. I mean, like I like I was. Thank you so much, Dad. Appreciate it. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, yeah. I I'm a, a kind of an information nerd. I I really love ha- having information about stuff and like history and all the context that makes a film a film. Uh, and so I do that section for me. I think a lot of people may not be as interested in the history of the movies as I am. Uh, but I'm glad to hear that it does hit some people and they're like, you know, yeah. I love all that information. So I appreciate that. Thank you so much. That makes me feel good. That's a good. little bit validating because I do feel self-conscious sometimes reading these because I know it takes up a large portion of the show. No, I think uh, I think it's necessary. Awesome. All right. So, yes, let's talk about how Coco came to be. So Coco was directed by Lee Unkrich. Uh, Lee Unkrich was a big part of like the story department of Pixar for 20 something years. Um, Specifically, he co-directed Toy Story 2, Monsters, Inc., Finding Nemo, Coco, and then he was the sole director on Toy Story 3. Uh, This film was written by Unkrich. Uh, He was, came up with the original story. He also wrote on Toy Story 3, one of the other writers. Again, Pixar has a, a very strange not strange, but Pixar has a very specific way that they develop their stories. It's they have a whole basically team of like story engineers um, that they they basically all work on story like big groups of guys and people work on stories together. And so like when writing credits come along, certain people get script screenwriting credit and then other people get story by credits. Um, so that's kind of what's happening here. So. The two people that wrote this movie were uh, Adrian Molina, uh, who is also a co-director on the film. Adrian Molina um, also wrote on The Good Dinosaur and Pixar's upcoming film, Elio. Uh, and the other screenwriter for this film was Matthew Aldrich, who wrote The Cleaner, Spinning Man, and Lightyear. Um, and then lastly, for the story department, was Jason Katz, who's written on a handful of Pixar, uh, Pixar shorts. So that was the writing team. Again, lots of different people on this one. Um, but this is the full story of how Coco came to be. 
So way back in 2010, writer-director Lee Unkrich pitched the idea that would eventually become the basis for the film of Coco by Pixar. Originally, the story was about a Mexican-American boy learning about his heritage after the death of his mother. However, the story artists at Pixar eventually agreed that this was perhaps not the right approach for this story. In the early stages of development, no one on the project was actually from Mexico. And so they felt it was their duty to depict this real-life culture in the right way. So the story team would take several trips down to Mexico to immerse themselves in the people, their culture, and their folk art, and specifically, Dia de los Muertos, which would all come to influence many aspects of the film, obviously. In w- and in what can only be described as a bonehead move, in 2013, Disney attempted to trademark the phrase Dia de los Muertos for merchandising purposes. Yeesh. Yeah. <laughs> Understandably, that was met with accusations of cultural appropriation, exploitation, and corporate greed. So Disney quickly revoked their application and in 2015 hired Mexican cartoonist Lalo Alcaraz, Mexican playwright Octavio Solis, and former CEO of the Mexican Heritage Corporation, Marcela Davison Aviles, uh, as cultural consultants on the film. And this would prove to be the right move, as we'll talk about a little bit later. Disney, gosh damn. Yeah. <laughs> what yeah. are you thinking, Disney? You can't, you, can't, you can't trademark a culture. <laughs> <laughs> what is wrong with you? Uh, okay, but... Uh, Coco would spend approximately six years in active development at Pixar, which set the company's record for longest production schedule before the film finally hit theaters in the fall of 2017. With gorgeous visuals, lively music, and a touching story, Coco became an international success. With a reported budget of between $175 to $225 million, Coco is the first feature film in history to have a nine-figure budget with an all-Latino principal cast. You can tell. I mean, you can tell they did it right. Like, they did it right. Yeah. And not only did they do it right, this is even more proof. The film would go on to gross over $803 million worldwide, even making $792 million Mexican uh, in Mexico, becoming the highest-grossing animated film of all time and Mexico's highest-grossing film period of all time until it was surpassed by Avengers Endgame two years later. Coco was also a critical success with a 97% on Rotten Tomatoes and two Oscar wins under its belt. One for Best Original Song for Remember Me and one for Best Animated Feature. So, yeah, they did it right. Yeah, they better. I mean, they gotta. (laughs) They gotta. Exactly. It, it It could have been not so good. Uh, and I think this, been... this Pixar film feels different than the rest to a degree, you know, like it still has like some of the same, you know, sentiments as other Pixar, but it's just so much more, I think, grounded, you know, it's just very, very connected to, to Mexico, which is like, not, I don't think there's another Pixar film that I can think of that is this grounded in like true culture, you know? So- So, yes, I totally agree with you. When you look at Pixar's body of work, a lot of it is very fanciful. A lot, you know, Toy Story and Cars and and Inside Out, A Bug's Life. It's all very, like you said, 
um, very good imagination. A lot of great imagination yeah. in these. Coco is one of these first Pixar films that is grounded in in a, a very clear form of reality. It's, yeah. This culture is very, very real. It's yeah. very real to a lot of people. And so, sure, they go into a more fanciful imagination world, but even that world itself doesn't even feel like the land of the dead, as, as fun as it is, still feels like a real place. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it, it feels like, and it's, it is modeled after a, a, a town in Mexico. So like the way it like looks. Yeah. Um, and like it could very easily just be another city. He could have just gone to the big city. Right. Um, uh, and I think the movie that that idea would have worked just as well. Um, in like, as far as like a one-to-one. Yeah. Um, I would say Pixar hadn't, hadn't done anything like this until it got to Luca. Luca, I think, is another cultural film. A yeah. lot about culture. Soul as well. Um, Soul, I think, gets in there a little bit too. But Soul, I think, can be a little bit broader. Um, even though, ja- obviously, jazz is rooted in the African-American community. You know, it, it's a little bit broader than that. Um, yeah. This is very clearly Mexican heritage. Like, it, it's yeah. undeniably so. Um, and it's gorgeous. Yeah. Um, so yeah, they did it right. And that you're right. This is a movie that they, they got to do right. And it surprises me actually that nobody on that story team is from Mexico. Um, Adrian Molina, who, who wrote the screenplay, co-wrote the screenplay and co-directed this film is of Mexican heritage, but he's from Northern California. Yeah. Um, and uh, hadn't ever been to Mexico at the, by the time that this movie had was getting developed. So it is fascinating to me that yeah, like especially because Lee Unkrich, who's not I don't, at least from what I my research is not of Latino heritage whatsoever, came up with this story. He's the one that originally conceived the idea, uh, and yeah, he's not he's not of Hispanic heritage, which is very interesting. So I think it was a good call on their part to get some cultural consultants in because yeah, cultural appropriation in this industry is very real. You know, like, yeah. I mean, you just look at almost any other, any other movie, uh, that's about culture and like, actually, honestly, this is to call out Disney a little bit, all their original, uh, uh, oh, animated yeah. films, Aladdin oh, yeah. and, and, uh, Lilo and Stitch and, you know, like most of their movies are cultural folk stories, Mulan. Yeah. And the people writing and making those movies were not of the culture. Right. So, I mean, this is a tradition that Disney has, unfortunately, which is not a good thing. Um, so I, I can give some respect to them a little bit, at least in, especially after their snafu. God, Disney. <laughs> their snafu to be like, okay, no, no, no. Let's get some people, let's get some people in here to, to really make this right. Yeah. And they did. I agree. I, agree. I mean, that's when this, I mean, that's when things started to shift right around that time. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Yeah. 2017. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So that's a pretty interesting little history. Six years in development. That's a long time, even for Pixar. Yeah. It's a long one. Yeah. Um, usually, usually you think they said their average is like three to four. Six is a okay. long, long one. Um, but that's how this film came to be. We let's move right along to what is it? 
what is this film? What is the plot of this film? Seth, you know what time it is. Yeah, let's flog the log. Flog the log. Flog the log. Come on, everybody. We're going to flog the log. That's the theme song. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> so this one, I'm not quite sure about this one. Maybe I shouldn't have said that, but we'll see. It, this, one's, this movie's hard to encapsulate because tonally there's so much going on. Plot-wise, there actually is a lot of pieces moving. Um, so this one was tough for me to nail down. So this is what I got, though. 12-year-old Miguel is an aspiring musician in a family who's sworn off music. After stealing a guitar on Dia de los Muertos, Miguel must search the land of the dead for his great-grandfather and get his blessing or be trapped there forever. I think... I... I give it an... I give it a 7.7. 7.7. Okay, I'll take it. I wasn't sure about it either. Here's the problem I was having. This film... The setup has so many specifics, right? Yeah. Like you have to, you have to include if you want to accurately tell someone what this film's plot is or like what the setup is, you have to talk about how the family doesn't has banned music. You have to talk about how Miguel wants to be a musician. You you have to talk about the the, the catalyst, which is the fact that yeah. he ends up in the land of the dead. But like, I think you're missing I, like the fact that his he thinks his grandfather is this world famous singer. Yeah, like like. It's just, I it think gets, less it gets is too more. Wordy. Yeah, it gets too wordy. Less is more here. Yeah. So I think the first. What's your first line? Twelve-year-old uh, Miguel is an aspiring musician in a family who's sworn off music. That's perfect. And then you just need something that's like his pursuit of his passions leads him to the land of the dead. Okay. Or, or something like that. Like, I, I guess I wanted to get the, some of the culture in there because, like, it's so important that it is like the Day of the Dead. You know what I mean? Because uh, the land of the dead, I think, while yes, is rooted in uh, Mexican culture, a lot of cultures have lands of the dead. So, so maybe you just say uh, on Dia de los Muertos, uh, his pers- the pursuit of his passions. You you could you, the pursuit of his passions leads him to the land of the dead on Dia, on de, Dia los de los Muertos. Okay, yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, okay, I could have shortened it. That's not just, bad. Just because it, it just allows for intrigue. Yeah. You know? I get, yeah, this movie's just so rich in the details, though. You know what I mean? The details are what, yeah. makes, it, what makes it juicy. The fact that he, he, you know, he's an aspiring musician in a family that ban, has a ban on music. He's, he, he then finds out and believes that his great-great-grandfather may be this famous musician. And so he takes his guitar, which is what curses him, to go well, to the land of the dead. And then... And then he has to seek out that grandfather in the land of the dead to get his blessing to be a musician in life. And so it's like there's so much gorgeous richness in the details. That it's so hard for me to leave any of them out. You know what I mean? All right, I agree that those details are what make the film. But we're, I feel like for a logline, you're just trying to entice the audience or I entice know. the reader. So, so I would go see that movie no matter the plot. You gotcha. Know? So it's like – if I was just like, oh, this is really a cool concept, you know, like we're going to get to go to the Day of the Dead on De Los Muertos, you know. So uh, I think that's all you need to sell the film. All right. So w- with that, I think my average stays pretty much exactly the same. Let me double check. 
uh, see what that 7.7 does to my 7.76 average. <laughs> I think it brings it down a little bit. Yeah, I brought it down to a 7.73. I, I And like, you know, I'm, this is saying from somebody that's not writing log lines, but uh, just He's, listening I think to a, them. Yeah. Oh, just ahead. listening to them. I think, I think yeah, overall, you just need to be more of a, a salesman and less of a storyteller. So yeah. <clears throat> that's that like, uh, you know, and that doesn't mean you can't have some story elements, but I think you just need to think like intrigue more. Mm-hmm. That's uh, fair. That's a fair, you know, that's a fair note as far as like the lens in which I write these. Cause yeah. here's the thing, if I'm getting a seven out of 10 every time around, every time I'm writing these, then, then like, that's pretty solid, but it can be yeah. better. I can be better. I can be better. I need to be writing 10 out of 10 log lines like I did for Sarah Marshall. Yeah. Um, yeah. But thank you for flogging the log with me, Seth. The vlog, the log has been flogged. Uh, <laughs> it, has, it has been flogged and now we can move on. <laughs> um, so it's time to talk about the titular we log, question. We can log the flog. We, we've logged that we flogged the log. Yes, yes. Uh, let's talk about what we're here to talk about. Uh, Seth, since I've chosen this movie, I get to ask the question today. Um, so, Seth, Coco, what's it about? Well, um, I think this movie, I mean, you could, you know, easy, the easy, the easy one is just to say family, you know? Right. So, so, so people at home, when someone's asking like, what are the themes of a movie? There are some big umbrella themes, right? Yeah. Umbrella themes are like things like those big words, family, love, death. You know, those are like the thing, those, those are the umbrella, those are the umbrella themes. And then with under those umbrellas, there's the more nuanced stuff. So yes, family for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. But if I wanted to put a Seth lens on this, uh, I think I I would broaden it. And it's actually a, uh, thematically like a physics theory that's just, is kind of being researched right now Mm -hmm. and that. Nothing exists without its relation to everything else. So it's not like something exists in the universe alone, like individual pieces. Mm-hmm. Everything exists in real, like if everything around something doesn't exist, then this doesn't exist. It's a, mm-hmm. it's like a physics concept. That's uh, really interesting. That's actually being researched right now. I saw on Twitter or something, but it's like, an, an easier, more, I guess, layman's terms to say is like, I need others in order to feel validated, mm-hmm. uh, in order to, you need, you need, you need people to validate yourself. Like, I'm, I'm not saying it very poetically, but Basically, without you, I am not me, and you are not you without me. We need each other to recognize each other for what we are in order to be ourselves. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Right. So, so it's it's so 
so I think the way I I can't put exactly what you're saying into into like you said into like a poetic line or yeah, like a yeah. single thought, but like I think what you're saying is is like within the family of the Riveras, they're separating two things, right? They're separating music and family, right? We yeah. can't we can't have our family if music is involved because family music ruined our family, yeah, right? yeah. And so they've wrenched these two things apart and. As we're seeing down the line here, that eventually that that wrecks both things, yeah. right? And ends up wrecking the family by wrenching it away from this other thing, right? Well, yes. Is that and what? And like, I, I think that's what's happening in the movie. Mm-hmm. What I'm saying is, uh, maybe a, a, a more like adult, childlike way to say this is like. Uh, uh, Miguel needs an audience, right? And this mm-hmm. is like maybe maybe this is a better way to relate it. It's like you can't perform without an audience, and there's no audience without a performance. I think that's a better way to say what I'm saying. It's a it's a it's a it's a simpler. It's not as like all expansive. It's not metaphysical. It's not metaphysical, but it is if right. if you take if you can take it there. Like uh, like. Miguel needs his family to be the audience and the audience needs a performance because life is, well, you know. so that is obviously something that like, as you know, we've, we've delved into quite a bit on the show. It does come back to this a lot. We're artists, we're actors, we're, we're writers. What are we constantly looking for? Yeah. Love and validation. Like we, yeah. we, that's what we want. We want, we want we want people to tell us that we have value, that we're talented, that they love what we do, and that they love us. Right? To, rec- to recognize us, mm-hmm. and, like, uh, and a lot of times we only think that we are, we deserve love is if we are earn is if we earn it through our talent. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and that's I mean that's something I believe I. I I mean I just had a Freudian slip here. It's something I believe honestly sometimes. Is that? Yeah, you know, you know, you you know, you are aware that you probably shouldn't believe that, but but deep down, it's like if someone tells me that they like me or that they they you know, quote unquote, they they love me. It's if I haven't done anything to like earn that love in any such way, it doesn't feel genuine. Even if it is like unconditional love is a thing in concept. Yeah, (laughs) you know, like and people can say that unconditional love is a thing. Uh, and if you want to believe that, that, that's great. Um, but I think all love is conditional to an extent, you know? Uh, I don't know if I agree. I don't know, man. Like someone you, if someone you love does something horrible, horrible, horrible to you, I don't know. I think there, you can maybe say there might be so love there, but I, I don't know. There, there might not be. I, I mean, inevitably, I think we're going to be talking about spirituality at some point. Well, yeah, it's, here they're in the spirit world. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, I mean, I don't think that's if you're going to take love as a spiritual concept, it's way broader than any earthly right idea of what love is. So, like, I think. I think it is I think someone can do something horrible but 
love could still be there. It may not look like what you think it does, but it may be there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I get. Like I said, I understand it, it, but it is that thing inside me. It's a it's a me problem that that right that's causing this issue. This is something that I struggle with. Of like, if I'm not if I'm not doing things to earn people's love, then it, then it it's it, then it's not real. What? So this is. I don't know why I'm going this way right now, but uh, have you ever done something really cool and validating? Uh, and then like, like we're done with it and then felt the feeling after that. Yes. And it's, it's almost 10 times worse. Right. Is, isn't <laughs> yeah. that weird? Isn't yeah. that weird? It's, 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 well, that's the, the, honestly, that's where like, I probably need to go to therapy because it is like, I talked about this recently with a friend of mine, how I get like a weird post audition depression type thing. I wouldn't call it fully depression, but basically I have a, I have a post audition low. So like yeah. I auditioned for this movie a couple years ago and I got a call back and I got a, a, a chemistry read. So I went in for a chemistry read. And I came in there and I was ready to go. I was off book. Not everybody else in that room was off book for this chemistry, but I was. And I was just like firing in all cylinders. I felt good about my audition. And I was feeling keyed in during the audition, like very, like operating on a very high level, I felt. And as soon as I walked out of that, that, uh, that audition and I went to, got in my car, I immediately felt low, so low all of a sudden, even though – like I could feel the, like you said, that the validation, the, 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 you know, I could feel that the, the uh, producer and the director and the other actors in the room were all like, wow, that was really great. You know? Yeah. Um, I could yeah. feel it. I could see it on their face. I could feel it in their energy. So I knew I did a great job and they were, they were validating me, you know? Yeah. But as soon as I got into my car, it was pff, ground floor in seconds yeah um yeah and immediately i was so sad um, yeah and so yes i totally understand what you're saying man so i think what can be gleaned from that is you're never it's it's net you're never going to be fully validated by the things you do mm-hmm. i mean okay maybe not this Maybe a better way. You're never going to be validated by the rece- the reaction or the response to the things you do. I think you. I think doing the thing can be validating, but then you're not doing the thing anymore. And I think that's where the low comes from, right? Mm-hmm. Is you're expecting to be when you're done. I'm going to feel good about myself, but the truth is, it's the doing of the thing that you should find the value in not the reaction to the doing of the thing Mm -hmm. because I don't think any reaction could ever fulfill that void totally, you know? And, and to put a, a, a a period on that story, I did end up getting that part. That's Uh, awesome. Yeah. So that was, that was a, a, a movie that I shot last year that was supposed to be coming out this year. Isn't out yet, but it was supposed to be coming out soon. 
Um, but then so you have to do the part, and that's terrible. Well, see, there's another. That was another <laughs> moment for me where I was like, I got my ego was a little bit boosted because I got on set, and again, I'm uh, you know just like with this show, like I'm a very prepared. I, I'm a, a person that you know does my work right because yeah because that's also what like I feel like makes gives me value is Ricky's the actor that comes in ready to go off book like is ready to work yeah you're right you're professional right and i get a lot of validation from being that person of people like wow ricky's already off book and he's ready to work and this and that and everybody else is still like getting off like there's a little bit of ego thing in there but um so i came in ready to go and um during filming the director came up to me at one point i think i told you this story but i've never shared it on this podcast uh we were shooting a scene um, and during, so during rehearsal, we did like a, a rehearsal with like the cat people who were playing the younger kids, the, like the teens, yeah. which, which was me. Um, and during our like rehearsal read through together, chemistry together, uh, one of the younger actors who young, younger than the rest of us, he was only like 17. He, so he was much younger than the rest of us who are in our twenties at the time. Yeah. Um, so he was doing some things that I was doing during our uh, during our cast read through our table read, um, where I was like ad libbing some things here and there, um, but like not like detrimentally. Like it was like reaction ad libs, or like I would add something a little on the end of a line just to give it more of my character. And yeah. so he was doing some of that, but he was doing it. In inappropriate level. In a, in, yeah, he was doing it at in, inappropriate times, if that makes sense. Yeah. And like changing lines completely and things like that. And the director like stopped us mid mid read and he was like, okay, I wrote this script because he also wrote it. He wrote it, directed it, and he was starring in it. He's like, look, I wrote this script. I wrote these words. I spent a lot of time picking these words. I would appreciate if you would stick to the, what I wrote because I spent a lot of time choosing what I, what I wanted in this story. Right. Yeah. And so I thought he was also talking to me. So I was like, okay, maybe I'm pushing it too far, you know? Um, so what happened was while we were shooting, I was sticking very close to the script and he came up to me during one of our days and he's like, I wouldn't say this to anybody else on this cast, but he's like, but you have carte blanche to do whatever you want. Oh, that's cool. He's like, He's like, cause I, he's like, I say that because I trust you to not go too far. Yeah. Like, he's like, I know you'll deliver what I need and then you'll find some color. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And he's like, he's like, I wouldn't say this to anybody else on this cast, but he's like, but you, you got the, you got the goods. So you have the green light, go for it. That's cool. And led some really fun moments. And it, it was really fun for me as an actor on set for those few weeks to like have, feel like I have that, that trust and that confidence from the director to that he's like i he's like i see that you're talented enough and that you're smart enough to to both deliver and know where the line is yeah and which was great it was like i said it was a huge confidence boost throughout that whole shoot so i hope that comes through i like i said i haven't seen the movie yet but i hope that comes through um so but it made me feel good what what do you do what do you do when you don't have that external validation, you know? Oh, I've had that too. I've had that in a lot of movies as well. <laughs> but I mean, just in general, like, 
how does how does one move through the world without being validated in some way so know? so on to go along with that at this i was doing a play uh this a couple months ago i was doing the seagull um and i hadn't done theater in forever and i had the same problem when we were doing uh columbinus if you remember way back then seth when we did columbinus with a uh, monroe park theater guild um when I'm in the rehearsal process for a play, sometimes if I'm not getting notes, I freak out. Yeah. So most people would say, oh, if you're not getting any notes, like that means you're doing, you're doing your job. You're doing well. Like you're doing what the director wants and like just keep going, right? Yeah. But that's not what my stupid old head thinks. Right. My dumb, dumb head goes, I must be doing such a bad job that they don't even want to spend time to correct me. <laughs> like it's not even worth correcting this issue. Cause it's just so bad. It's not worth my time. <laughs> That's what yeah. my dumb, dumb head goes to. <laughs> and this happened I mean, to me while I was doing the seagull too. I wouldn't call you. I wouldn't say dumb, dumb head. You know? I know. I mean, I think you just, I think you're, I think, I mean, this is speaking, you know, I'm preaching to the choir usually. I think you you and I's brains work very similarly. And so it's nice to have a reflection sometimes, you know? Mm -hmm. And so like what I hear is you need something outside of yourself Mm. to be able to be comfortable with yourself. Like you need the validation. You're codependent on external validation, Mm -hmm. if that's even a thing. But it probably is. so, so what I'm, Honestly, so, I'm just dependent because va- external validation isn't dependent on me. <laughs> oh, well, rather that, yeah, you're dependent. That's a better, that's a better <laughs> uh, term. Uh, but <clears throat> to, to like give you a little example of, of, so for me, uh, I did, I did this set one time. Uh, it was before you were in LA at the ice house. And it oh, was probably you recorded this, that? right? No, I mean, that's, a, that's what's oh. unfortunate. This is what's unfortunate about this story, uh, which it, it kind of it, it, it maybe illustrates a little bit what I'm trying to say. Uh, so I did this set, and it was a bringer show, you know, but it was a packed house, right? And uh, a bringer show being a show where you're supposed to bring audience members, yeah. Like you, yeah. your your role in the show is as a comedian is to bring people to the show. Yeah. And that's how you so get up. It's kind of the second step on the ladder, right? Like you start at open mics and then you go to bringers and then you start getting booked. So like, that's kind of the, the path. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but this was like a packed house at, at, at the ice house and by far the biggest stand up audience I ever performed for. It's probably like 200 people. And I was going to do, a specific set that night. And I had like 10 people in the audience that I knew, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I mean, I'm, I'm not saying this to toot my own horn. It's true. And it also is kind of going to illustrate what I'm talking about. I was the best one, like on the whole show. I went up there and I walked in. I don't know. I don't know how I did it. I even spoke in a voice that I don't even know how to access anymore. Like that's like, I just clicked into 
I got on that wave and I wrote it and I, I like kill, I shred it, you know? Hell yeah. Uh, like it was so good. that other comedians were angry at me afterwards. <laughs> Comedy is a competitive business. Yeah. But I'll say this. As soon as I walked off stage, I left and went to sit outside, you know, and then I was like, that's over, you know, like mm -hmm. that's over. And it, I, like, I knew it went well, but it didn't matter because I'm not, because it's over, mm -hmm. you know? So it's like, how do you feel good about yourself? Like, how do you feel good about yourself when you're doing something like that? And it is so validating in the moment. And then immediately it's not because you're not doing it anymore. Mm -hmm. So it's like, for me, for, so for me, like it was only the act of doing it. That was actually the validating part because once it's over, it, it doesn't matter like even if even if the audience liked it or didn't like it, it doesn't matter to me. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Like, yeah. though the, the the praise is nice, what I'm really looking for is self validation, mm -hmm. right? right? And it seems like you're kind. It seems like if correct me if I'm wrong, it seems like you're really relating to the musicians of this movie. So the yeah, it seems like you're relating to Miguel, Hector, and uh, and Ernesto de la Cruz. So for it's, sure. It's, it's when you know you see it when Miguel is is shining shoes and when he you know when he's not playing music he he doesn't seem very alive other than when he's talking with his grandma which I think is like another piece of this puzzle yeah um, that I'll get into a little bit uh, when I share kind of what I what I feel with this movie but you you really see Miguel come alive when he picks up that guitar his homemade guitar. For the first, you know, we see him pick up that homemade guitar for the first time. We actually hear him play, and we see him get taken away when he's playing. It's very much like the if you've seen Soul, you know, they talk about being in the zone in Soul, and so like yeah. it's that thing of like what yeah. you're talking about. It's like you go to this transcendent place sometimes when you're performing, and it feels amazing. But as soon yeah. as that thing's over, like. You're back to reality. Right. And it, it sucks that you're you, – because you, you're like, I just was in this amazing place and I'm no longer there. Yeah. And and well, we see for Hector, music is really important. I mean he loves music. He obviously is very talented. Um, but really what does it for him, what like brings him that joy is his daughter. And sure, he loves music and he has this talent and passion. But it's, it's – you know, we see that he's willing to like be like, you know what? I don't need this. I like this, but I don't need this. I need my family. And Ernesto yeah. does not have that other thing. He does not yeah. have that other validation in his life. He has nobody else. You know, right. he has no family. And so he needs to be that performer because he needs to – For you know, how many movies did we see him put out? And he, he's, like the, he's like the Mexican Elvis doing like right. all these movies and, and stuff. Like that. And we've talked about Elvis's complete – just need to to get validation from an audience through yeah. performing. His pain of right. needing to please people. Ernesto has that, and he's willing yeah. to do anything to keep getting it. You yeah. Know? 
And so yeah. I, I see where, where you're connected, where you're locking into this film is through the, makes sense, through the artists, right? Yeah. And I think I hear kind of what you're saying. And I, I mean, I want to get, you should say what you think this movie's about. Oh, we will. I will. Uh, as well. Uh, I think what, I think though your passions and the things that you, that take you to that zone or whatever, that uh, they, I don't, I think it's, you can't be bad. Like you can't be so focused on them that you're not seeing those around you because those around you are actually you as well. Mm -hmm. Right. Like it's family part of you. Yeah. 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 Like your family is, is the, the most tangible example because of this film's what this film is saying about family, but literally they are the only people that share your DNA. Mm-hmm. Right. So you are in them and they are in you. And I think if you want to go to even a spiritual point, and again, I think soul also hits on this a little bit, this idea of like passion and, and is a part of your soul. I think your family, the people that love you and around you are also a part of make up your soul. Right. Yeah. So like, to separate and wrench the two apart and like blindly focus on one and neglect the other is why Ernesto loses, right? Yeah. It because he has nobody to shoot to nourish that part of his soul. And so that part withers away and all he has left is the 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 pursuit of the art and the pursuit of the passion. And and I think your your soul is what nourishes your art, right? So like if you're neglecting a huge part of your soul, like then what's that going to do to your art? Yes. And then maybe that's one of the reasons Ernesto never wrote any good songs himself. All the songs that he wrote that were his best music were all Hector's, right? Yeah. So it's interesting that Ernesto, in this pursuit of this passion, doesn't have the soul and the spirit to motivate and actually create any of it. And so he has to take it from somebody else. Yeah. I mean, his biggest song is a song that was written for that Hector wrote for his daughter, and right. and Hector even says, "I didn't write that song for an audience. I wrote that song for my daughter and for my daughter alone." You know? Yeah. And and it's like, well, that's why maybe that song connects with so many people so much because it was written from such a personal place. Yeah, I I, I want to hear what you think this movie's about. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so for me, I definitely, while I think the passion is some, and the, the, the like pursuit of the art was something that I really connected with when I originally saw it. And I think that obviously as someone who's pursuing art, but as I've gotten older, there's, there's a thing that I've been trying to reconcile in myself for a really long time. And it's this idea of, like I was saying, our souls, both the good and the bad live through the hearts of those we love so all of our experiences that we've had in our life get passed down through stories and through memories to the people in our lives you know all the good memories and but also all of our our traumas um and what's important to not forget is that both of those life experiences both the good life experiences and the bad life experiences are necessary for for a whole soul because if you you avoid the traumas 
down the road, it leads to this this problem that we see in this movie. Um, you get you you end up being lost when you when you try and only take the good things and avoid the bad things. Yeah, of your of your history. I think um, we're I think we're saying the same thing, mm-hmm. but I think this is a really hard concept to like act to to surmise mm-hmm. uh, because it it's like it's like moving, kind of right. It's like that uh, another physics theory. It's like nothing is ever constant, right? You know, like the it, uncertainty it, principle. Yeah. The uncertainty principle. It's like talking about this feels like that. Like. It feels like we're chasing, um, we're chasing the idea. We like have an idea about the idea of mm-hmm. what this movie's about, but it's like really hard to nail down. Well, I like that etherealness of it because it's not, yeah. it's not a concrete. I think that's what this movie get like gets at. Like it's not a concrete. Um, yeah. But I mean, I think specifically this fan, like if you want to really boil this down to like a a uh, a concept, it's a I, it's about generational trauma. Yeah, you know, yeah. and 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 Kanto also did this, and I think it's interesting that both of these generational trauma films that Disney has made are both like Latino families. Yeah, um, but I think Encanto did this with a little bit more nuance because the trauma had seeped in to to the family in a way that they weren't so aware of. Yeah, where in Coco, yeah. it's very obtuse. It's very opaque. Yeah. Yeah. Um. A grandma Imelda, uh, or uh, sorry, uh, I can't remember which. The, so many names. Uh, the matriarch of the family reminds us over and over and over again. No music. Music is bad. This is what music yeah. did to our family. R- labeling the trauma for us. Yeah. Music traumatized our and ruined our family, and that that feeling of banning music and this hatred of music and the. Honestly, not even a hatred because they obviously – you can tell because right at the end of the movie, they're all lo- – they all love music. They all yeah. love music. They're just but scared they're, of it. And they're not supposed to love it. Right. They're scared of it because of their trauma. And this trauma is causing a rift in the thing that they're trying to protect, which is what yeah. generational trauma trauma is. It's the the traumatic experiences of our family history – and the effects of that trauma being taught to the next generation, which then is so like subliminalized and then gets keeps getting passed down until eventually you don't know what the original trauma was, but, but it's, it's rooted within you and you don't know why. Yeah. And, and that concept is, I mean, very big, obviously in a lot of cultures, the African-American culture, the Latino culture, the Asian American culture. Um, I mean, and and you can even go, well, it's a worldwide generational trauma is a worldwide thing. Um, so for me, I definitely, I just, I can, I could feel that in this movie, this idea of like, my family likes to avoid conflict with each other, at least emotional conflict, if that makes sense. We yeah. are, we're combative. We like to fight with each other, but when it comes to actually being like vulnerable and, and going deep into what is underneath all that combativeness and what it means, what is underneath a lot of that anger and frustration, 
Yeah. We we will avoid that. Whatever is underneath all that. Whatever trauma is like underlying all that, we we don't want to talk about it. And and to be fair, I talk a lot about my family on this on this podcast. I absolutely love my family. I think I think the world of them. They're my favorite people in the whole wide world. I love them very much. Um but you know, a lot a lot of things that I know that I struggle with are things that are direct are direct correlations to some of the ways that I see my family respond to certain things. Yeah. Emotional, emotional things. You know, um, you know, my, my, my dad's favorite phrases growing up is, is, uh, if, if nothing's broken and you're not bleeding, then there's no crying. Right. <laughs> right. So unless you have, unless you're bleed, unless you, there is blood and, or unless something is broken, you, you're not, you don't cry about it. No comment. No yeah, it's 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 a, that's a tough that's a tough way to 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 grow up, especially as yeah. a as a sensitive kid as I I was. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's tough. Um, you end up internalizing a lot. You end up becoming very thick skinned and hard headed, which makes things hard to get through. Right. Yeah. Um, and so that's kind of what I'm talking about with Miguel is that this this generational trauma of like what music did to their family has created a child in this family. He's the youngest at this point in their family who all, who it's gotten to the point where he will give up his family for this thing that he wants to do. He's, he's so willing to just leave them behind. He's willing to die. Right. I mean, he's, he's risking his life. Yeah. Yeah. And not even – and because like the love that he thinks he's getting from them isn't – either A, isn't enough or it just is not nourishing him enough is what he thinks. Yeah. And so this other thing must be what will nourish him. Um, and it's – the I think the movie does such a beautiful job in showing that and, – and oh, here's what it's – Coco – uh, Grandma Coco is such a good litmus test for this. So Coco obviously still loves her dad, still loves her music. I mean, she has dementia. She's old. She's forgetting a lot, right? She, she's yeah. having trouble remembering. And so it's not until – but it's because this big part of her life has been taken away from her, you know, from her, from that youth, that yeah. music and that love – was wrenched away. Oh man, that scene. And that yeah, scene. so we got to talk about that scene at the end. When, no, I, well, oh, go ahead. The two, there's two. I mean, the yeah. scene at the end, and then the scene with the little girl. Oh yeah, when he's singing to Coco. her. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's just, I cry every time I see those yeah. two scenes. Those are two of the scenes I cry a lot. And and yeah, um, when he's singing to her as a kid, but then when Miguel comes back at the end, and reminds her of this thing that was taken away from her for so long and it brings her back right it brings her soul back to her for a, for a, a little yeah. while and that's where this movie really gets me is this idea of like you can't just push away those those bad things you have to 
it, you know, you have to process that grief and that that pain because if you just push it away, it ends up creating a a, a rift, a sundering of your of who you are, and especially it does down the line in your family. Yeah. So there was a really weird moment that that moment, um, in the film. So it's like Hector playing to his daughter Coco, mm-hmm. you know. And I hope she's cool with me talking about this. Sarah, Sarah was watching it with her family, right? Mm-hmm. And her dad's older. Um, he's in pretty good shape, uh, but he uh, he definitely is like a bit forgetful these mm-hmm. days. And um, there's this moment where Hector is like singing to the daughter, and like I looked at Sarah, and like I looked at her and her dad look at each other and it was like this really uh sarah's sarah was teared up and her dad was teared up which i think sarah said she'd never seen her dad cry um and so it was just really really beautiful moment of like a return to that childlike place Mm -hmm. uh and uh i'll say like in regards to what you're saying like it's been challenging you know uh, living with like in a situation like this for Sarah, especially because like, you know, anything that she struggled with growing up with her, her family, like it's been accentuated. So there has been some conflict, you know, mm. uh, being here, but it was really, really cool to see kind of all that fall away uh, in that moment in regards to the song and, everything it was it was neat that's really awesome i watched it by myself but (laughs) uh, my dad's also a musician so like there's you know we and we connect one of the things that we connect with the most is through music you know it's like i i am one of his only children that has like really stuck with music stuff um i still play piano i can play a little bit of guitar and bass here Um, but obviously i sing too um but like i'm a kind of a music I don't know if you call me a hipster, but like I listen to a lot of music. I really love yeah. music. You're a music nerd. I'm a music nerd. Um, and so like me, that's something me and my dad connect on a lot. And so like there is that, again, that two sides of the soul of like the actual physical corporeal people in your life being one part of yourself. And then this ethereal passion and this <laughs> ethereal thing that that also is beautiful too can bring both things together so well, you know, you need both of those things. Um, and, uh, and, uh, specifically Coco, there's, there's the song at the end. Well, I think remember me is a good song. It's definitely not my favorite song in the movie. Um, my favorite song in the movie is the song they sing at the end. Okay. Uh, which is uh, called proud Corazon. Oh um, yeah. 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 Which is proud heart. And it makes your heart so swell so much when you listen to it. It's like, I there's always no cry. Like, I always yeah. cry when I hear this song. And there's, I'm, cry- I'm crying thinking about it. I man. know. And there's this one line that in this song, this one lyric that always gets me because it's like it's what encapsulates this this thing for me so much. Is it's our love for each other will live on forever in every beat of our proud chorus song. So it's like every all the love and all the memories and all the experiences of the people we love live in our beat you know, to a rhythm in our hearts. And 
like we carry them with us and as long as we carry them with us they they do live on but we can't but we can't just ignore parts of them right because then we're not yeah. we're not actually ca- li- carrying them with us so like you I have think- to go ahead and I, I mean i mean i think this is actually expansive to where we're at, we're at in society right mm-hmm. as a culture like a where we are in the world is reflective of kind of, I think what we're saying here is that you have to be able to recognize the individual, but the individual has to be able to recognize the community. So it's like, there's, you need both. It can't be one or the other. Mm-hmm. If you're not recognizing the individual, then the individual is neglected and it creates problems. Mm-hmm. But if you don't recognize the family, you isolate yourself and are removed from what, from the system that actually validates you, mm-hmm. you know? So it's like a, it's both at the same time. Right. You have to have both to. Right. And, and as an individual, we even talked about this. I don't, I can't remember for what movie, but like this idea of like self being selfish and selfless, like yeah. as you, as an individual, like you need to both care about yourself and you need to both care about the others around you. Like, imbalancing that is 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 ethereal and it's tough. You know, there's no hard line of like when is it right to focus on somebody else and when is it right to focus on yourself. This it, it, it kind of balances back and forth constantly. And so, like you're right. Like you, it's one of those dichotomies. You got to do both simultaneously. Yeah, it, it's. It's a paradox, kind of. Yeah. Um, so before we end our conversation today, I would really love, in the spirit of this film, in the spirit of remembering those that we love, keeping them alive in our hearts, um, I would love to share some stories. Again, uh, Coco reminds me so much of my grandma, uh, my nana, uh, who passed away uh in 2011 or 2010 2010 uh uh who is was a proud panamanian woman uh had very many of her little grandma isms uh but uh one story that i love to tell about her uh after my grandpa passed away she came to live with us and she, she, we have, uh, the, we have this really nice house and the whole basement was like completely finished. And so there was an extra kitchen downstairs. There was an extra stove. She basically had her own like apartment in the basement. Uh, even had a, a, a door she could go out onto the patio and had a swing out there. So she had like her own space, which was great for her, but we were still there to make sure that she was okay. So she was living with us. Uh, and she loved to help out around the house where, where she could. Specifically, she loved to help take care of our, our dog, Angel, who just passed away also. May she rest in peace. Um, she used to love to help take care of Angel when she could. Um, and so one one time, my parents were out of town. They were on like a, a conference or something like that. And so me, my older sister, and my little brother were at home alone um, with Grandma. Grandma was there. Nana was there. Um, and there was this uh, Chinese buffet in town that we all really liked to go to. And like whenever the siblings were all together, we would go to this Chinese buffet together. 
Um, so parents were out of town. They left us some cash. Um, said, do whatever you want with it. Um, so we're like, let's go hit that Chinese buffet. We haven't gotten done that as a, as a group of siblings in a while. Um, so we're like, yeah, okay. So we get ready to leave. And as we're leaving, we're backing out of the driveway. Nana's coming outside to let the dog out. Um, Nana's like in her 80s. So she's a little older. So she likes to sit on something so the dog can run around for a while. And so she doesn't have to stand and just wait for forever. So she's taking the dog out. And we're like, okay, Nana will watch the dog and let the dog out and be outside for a little while. We get maybe like a mile down the road. We realize we forgot the cash on the table. So we turn around, we go to get the money, and as we pull up to the driveway, we see the dog running around the yard like crazy, just like freaking out. (laughs) And on the lawn, there is a cardboard box, a big cardboard box. And inside the cardboard box, we see two feet popping out the top. (laughs) (laughs) Turns out, Grandma grabbed a box from the garage and was sitting on it. And as she was sitting on it, the top fell in, and she like folded up like a like a book. <laughs> her feet and her her <laughs> arms and her head were like like you know like piked, <laughs> sticking up out of this box. <laughs> and we like run over. We're like, "No, no, are you, are you okay?" She's just laughing her ass off. She thinks it's awesome. hilarious. She's just laughing. So we help her out of this box. We go get her a chair from inside. We grab the money, but we're, she just was thought it was so funny. And we're like, had we not forgotten this money? How long would she have been in that box? <laughs> oh yeah. my God. I mean, it's really, ser- it's like very serendipitous that you forgot the money. Yeah. You know, could have been really but bad. Like, but like, we're hoping like maybe like some neighbors would have saw like the dog like freaking out because Angel was like, what? What's going on? <laughs> Someone help. Well, she had she had an she had an angel with her regardless. Yeah, she did. She used to she used to. We have the sunroom. It's like a closed-in porch that we have, and uh, Nana would always sit out there and like read the paper. Um, and Angel would sit on the top of the couch with her all the time, and she would always uh, turn and go, "Ay, qué lindo, Angel! You so beautiful." She loved that. Her and the dog would always hang out together all day. It was so cute. Uh, but that's one of my favorite. My other favorite story I think I told recently was when. I, I threw two parties uh, my junior year of high school, and I got caught. So I got grounded because um, uh, I threw these two parties while my parents were out of town. Uh, and so I was grounded for New Year's Eve. And my grandma, again, she was living with us. So she was there for the parties, but I told her I was having them. <laughs> I told her, I was like, no, nah, I'm going to have these parties. And she's like, okay. She's like, just don't be too loud. I was like, all right. And I was like, hey, guys, no one go downstairs. This is my grandma's apartment. <laughs> and everybody did everybody listened except for one person it's why i got caught but anyway <laughs> regardless so i'm at home on new year's eve nana comes upstairs to watch the ball drop in the living room and she sees me and she's like you're not going out for new year's eve and i was like oh no i'm not i'm not going out um i'm grounded because of those parties remember and she she looks at me and she goes well no one would tell if you went out and then she winked at me. <laughs> she, was, <laughs> she was like, she was like, go out. I won't narc on you. <laughs> as long grandmas as you're are at, awesome. She's great. Grandmas, grandmas. She was great. She was, yeah. she was, she was pretty awesome. I mean, she was, that my dad has different stories about her. Obviously growing up is a little bit di- with, the, with your mom. It's a little bit different, but as a grandma, she's pretty great. Yeah. Isn't it weird how that works? 
Yeah. It, yeah. Um, my grandma, I can say just really quick, my grandmas were probably the people that validated me the most, like in the best way when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my, 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 Mama Betty, who's still alive, was the first person to ever be like, you're really gifted. Like she told me that I was gifted. And like, it's the only time I've ever really believed it. Mm-hmm. You know, there, like, there's something about the way she said it or, or something that just made me go, huh, you know, like, she, she, she wanted to be known that she wanted to make sure I knew. Mm-hmm. And then my other grandma who's passed away was like my safe place. Mm-hmm. Like it was, it was less about what she said to me and things like that. And just more of how I could just be my true self around her and not have to worry about judgment, you know? Mm-hmm. And so yeah, grandmas, man, they're, they're, they're awesome. <laughs> they're very special. Um, awesome. So is there any other, uh, any other story you'd like to share about someone that's, that's, uh, past that you would love to, uh, share a memory about? Uh, you know, not real. I mean, my grandmother was the one I was, cl- the, the person that's passed away that I was closest to. Mm-hmm. And, uh, that, and that, like I, like I said, like it, it was, it was the place that I didn't have to worry about anything, mm-hmm. you know, like I didn't have to worry about, I didn't have to worry about pleasing anybody. I didn't have to worry about doing the right, like, I, I want to do the right thing, obviously, but it's not, there was no expectations of me. Mm-hmm. It was just a place I could exist. And like, and like, honestly, like I just wanted to watch TV, mm-hmm. you know, and she let me watch TV like as much as I wanted to, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and I mean, here we are, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. here, here we are. Like, it's like my, you know, movies and television and they are how I think, mm-hmm. you know? And, uh, so it was, it was wonderful to be around a person that let me just be, mm-hmm. you know? Um, I definitely, this film, like Miguel at the beginning of the movie is how I felt growing up, mm-hmm. you know? And, uh, like, like the black sheep and, uh, yeah. And I was never a black sheep to my mama. Awesome. To, to mamas everywhere, to mamas yeah. and, and nanas, um, papas, grandpas, peepaws. Cocos to all the cocos out there. Yeah, um, we love you. We miss you. If you're not with us anymore, uh, I think that's a great place for us to end our conversation today. Yeah. Uh, thank you all for uh, listening to us talk about Coco. Um, I mean, there's so many different things that we didn't get a chance to talk about that we definitely could, but um, I think I feel good about where we're at today. Uh, Seth, it's time to talk about what's next, and it's your turn, buddy. Oh man, I have, I'm torn. We're not doing Hubie Halloween. No, but I do want to do, I do want to do something spooky or, or, uh, that's what I was debating. I was like, do we do, 
because I did this movie because it is in the spirit of the of the of the year of this time of year, but it's not like directly Halloween and we and not directly horror because I definitely was like so we should do something horror for the Friday before think before Halloween, right? That's where we should yeah. do something horror. So I so didn't want to this... do like double up on horror. So wait, so wait, is this next one not Halloween? No. So today, so this episode is coming out on the twenty first. The next episode. Oh no, it is the next episode. Yes. So it'd be this is yours. So you can pick something spooky. Okay. Uh, since it is Halloween, I was I was so I was debating on. I thought about doing Little Monsters, which I is love one on Little the Monsters. which is one on the roster that I would like to do at some point. But we'll 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 table it. Okay. Uh, because I think it's too too lighthearted. We too need light. you want. You yeah, want, if we're gonna do uh, Halloween, we gotta do it. We scary. got yeah. We gotta go hard in the paint. Uh, so the film we're gonna do for Halloween is The Exorcist. The Exorcist, man. You going back to those 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 movie movies that we like to talk about? Yeah, yeah. It's a movie I mean, movie. I saw. I mean, I don't want to give too much away too early, but this was one of the first horror movies I ever saw. Mm-hmm. So, my yeah. uncle showed me this movie when I was a little bit younger than I should have been, but I do love it. Yeah, yeah. it's a great so movie. Let's, so let's do it. Yeah, so everybody out there, we will be doing the Exorcist uh, for our Halloween episode, uh, the 1973 Exorcist. If you want to watch along with us, you can find the Exorcist on. YouTube, Vudu, Google Play, Apple TV, Redbox, and Amazon Prime to rent. And it looks like you can also watch it with an HBO Max subscription for free. Well, for the subscription. But you can, it's on HBO Max if you want to check it out there. So Cool. The Exorcist. All right. I'm stoked. I haven't seen it since the first time I watched it. So really? I'm yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Cool, cool. Well, Seth, thank you so much for being here and talking about Coco with me. I cannot wait to talk about The Exorcist with you. Uh, thank you, everybody out there for for listening. Seth, go ahead and shout yourself out real quick. Yeah, you can find me on Instagram at Seth Adam Crow. That's all one word. Uh, Crow with an E, so S E T H A D A M C R O W E. Or you can find me on Twitter at the Birdie Word. So that's T H E B I R D Y W O R D. You can also find my podcast on uh, Apple Podcasts and Spotify. That's the Crowcast, two words, the, and then Crowcast, C R O W E C A S T. And then I'm going to go ahead and ask you to, uh, if you're going to follow me places, follow me also on Talent Exhibition Nashville at uh, on Instagram. We're trying to start the following there i'm looking to put this show up uh hopefully in the summertime and i've got an investor potentially so this might be real y'all so talent exhibition nashville on instagram all right awesome congratulations on that seth by the way thanks man all right and i am ricardo blade diaz you can find me at ricardo blade diaz on both instagram and tiktok that is just like my name is spelled all one word ricardo blade diaz and you can find the What's It About Film podcast on social medias at WeaPodWhat on Twitter, at What's It About Podcast on Instagram, and at What's It About Pod on TikTok. Remember, episodes of the podcast come out every Friday morning at 9 a.m. on a weekly basis. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, basically almost anywhere that you can find podcasts, you'll find us there. Uh, thank you all so much for listening. We'll see you next time. Bye. Adios.